We turn in Holy Scripture this evening to Matthew chapter 12. We only have two weeks before we commemorate the wonder of Christ's resurrection. And I decided in the couple weeks leading up to that, which would include Good Friday, I would call attention to a couple events in Jesus' earthly ministry leading up to his death and resurrection. So this evening we read from Matthew 12, beginning at verse 22. Matthew 12, beginning at verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And now verses 38 through 41 will be our text. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. 
But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we consider this evening this text from Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41, and we consider it in the light of the account of Luke in Luke 11, verses 29 through 32. We might look at those initially as parallel accounts. They both express the same truth. They both speak of the sign of Jonah. But it appears that these remarks of Jesus were made on two separate occasions. Both of them reveal the candid and bold remarks of Christ concerning an evil and adulterous generation. And if you add his remarks in Matthew 16, there's yet a third time when Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. A significant sign, therefore, is that historical figure of Jonah. The passage which we consider from Matthew 12 are words of Christ in response to certain of the scribes and Pharisees who were constantly rejecting him and refusing to hear what he had to say. 
And in this instance, they come to him and they say, Master, we would seek a sign from thee. And Mark, in his record of Mark 8, verse 11, says that the Pharisees asked this question, tempting him. Luke confirms the same in Luke 11, verse 16. And this was not the first such request, nor would it be the last. Always the unbelieving Jews were seeking after a sign. In John 6, in fact, within hours after Jesus performed the wonder of feeding the 5,000, the same people were coming to him, as we read in verses 28 through 30, then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? And the same request is made in the opening words of our text this evening. The substance of the text shows us Jesus' response to that request. So without any further introduction, I call your attention to the sign of Jonah. A sign sought, a sign rejected, and a sign fulfilled. There is nothing in itself strange about the Jews asking for a sign from Jesus. After all, Throughout the whole Old Testament, God spoke to his people through the types and shadows and by signs and wonders. And because the Spirit was not yet poured out into the church, his church had need of outward signs. And numerous were the signs given. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel had received signs from Moses when he was sent by God to deliver them out of the bondage of Egypt. Gideon the judge, you remember, received the sign of the fleece. Much later, Hezekiah received the sign on the sundial. And all those who looked for the Messiah did so in the expectation that his coming would be marked by many signs, including, as Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14, the sign of the virgin birth. But what are the significance of those signs? What was the significance? Signs are visible tokens of the invisible presence of Jehovah and of his work to establish his kingdom and covenant. They are tokens of the invisible God of salvation, present and working. Signs speak of God the Savior. They reveal him. They don't merely reveal the presence of God. The invisible things of God are clearly seen in the things that are made. From that point of view, the whole creation serves as a sign of God's presence and his creative power. 
But a sign is something special in that it belongs to the sphere of grace, of salvation. And the very nature of that sign draws attention. It's something distinct from what we normally see and hear. The testimony of the sign is that the God of grace is near, is near to save. He is near bringing about the realization of his promise, gathering his people, preparing for the destruction of the enemy and the establishment of his glorious kingdom. Now as we read in Matthew 12, verse 38, certain of the scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign. We should remember that the scribes and Pharisees were the most influential men of learning among the Jews. They were characterized by a strict attention to the rituals of the Mosaic law. The problem, however, was that they had departed from the Old Testament scriptures and made the focus of their study the traditions of the elders, which added to the precepts of the Old Testament scriptures and largely ignored the underlying principles of God's doctrine. And because these men occupied prominent offices connected with the Jewish nation, they had a powerful influence over the public's way of thinking, that is, among the Jews. Because they held to that long-cherished dream of exercising sovereign rule among the Gentile nations, under which they were now subjected, upon hearing first of the miracle powers of this Jesus of Nazareth, they understood this Christ to be the one who would free them from the yoke of Rome, from the bondage of the Roman Empire. But as soon as it became evident that he was not one with them, they viewed him as a threat to his power. So they sought his destruction. And immediately they would do that by discrediting him among the Jewish people and making him the object of suspicion and rejection. And so we find the agents of the scribes and Pharisees dogging Jesus wherever he went. Almost everywhere he went, there would be the scribes and Pharisees with the intent of showing him up or trapping him and misrepresenting his doctrine. They sought to catch something out of his mouth by which they could accuse him. That was the motive behind their request that Jesus give them a sign. But a sign they've already received. It was the sign of the prophet Jonah. There shall no sign be given unto them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now let me 
Let me just make a remark in passing concerning the length of the sign. We know that the reference to three days and three nights does not refer to a 72-hour period. Rather, it was common usage among the Jews who recognized the day beginning at sundown to speak of any part of the day as marked by day and night. Whereas in Scripture, when a numeral precedes the, precedes the day, one day refers to a 24-hour period, the reference to day and night refers to a day in terms of a portion, so that the time frame involved parts of three different days, with Jesus being laid in the tomb late on Friday and rising from the dead early in the morning the first day of the week. But I make that remark simply to answer the question that often arises from the text. It's the sign that draws our attention. And what sign could be more fitting? They knew the history well. The history of Joseph, the story of, of Jonah, rather, and was the prophet, was well known to the Jews. Jonah was the prophet sent by God to pronounce judgment upon Nineveh. This sign was the, one, the sign of the one who cried, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Jesus says, This is the sign that corresponds to your request. You observe me as proud critics. You refuse my word, as well as the testimony of my works. So be it. I give you a sign of that minister of God who's preaching, clothed, proud Nineveh in sackcloth, brought them to their knees in humility, brought that high-minded king of Nineveh from his throne to the dust. That's the sign that's suitable for you. An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Nineveh was an evil generation. But an adulterous generation it could not be. This is a description that applies only to the church, the institute set apart by God as those who bear his name. So by this sign, Jesus is saying to the unbelieving Jews, you were those bound to Jehovah in an unbreakable covenant of marriage. Your God, God, your maker, was your husband. But you have violated that marriage bond. You have become an adulterous generation. You claimed him when it served your purpose. You renounced him when your own will stood contrary to him. 
You have shown yourselves aliens from the true commonwealth of Israel. At your demand, I give you a sign. But it's the sign of the word of God to the uncircumcised. And this sign proclaims that him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. But at the same time, it's a sign of God's wrath upon all those who reject him. And intimately connected with the sign of Jonah's preaching is the sign of Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. It's a sign that's yet to see its perfect fulfillment. That is, that's yet to see its fulfillment at the time Jesus speaks these words. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the Son of Man is tied to the sign of Jonah. The Son of Man is himself the sign spoken of. I myself am the sign says Jesus. No lesser sign does Christ give himself than himself, who in his own person is the sign of signs, the brightness of his Father's glory. Jesus gives them a sign that they had already rejected. In unbelief, The scribes and Pharisees pressed Jesus for a sign. Already they had been given signs in abundance. They rejected them all. God had filled the land with many infallible proofs of his Godhead. That he was indeed the one sent by God, the Messiah, to whom all the prophets had pointed was clearly indicated by all the miracles that he performed, all of which were signs. There were the healings of the sick, the cleansing of the lepers, the restoring of sight to the blind, the ability of walking to the lame. He had fed the hungry multitudes, cast out devils. He had even raised the dead. They had seen enough signs from him that they had been constrained to realize as Nicodemus confessed in John 3 verse 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God is with him. But they rejected every one of those signs as signs of his Godhead. Hating the righteousness of his character, the holy power and demands of his doctrine and ministry, they would not acknowledge him for who he was. They would stave off the conviction that he was the Messiah sent from God. They were attempting to justify their continued hard-heartedness and unbelief. 
that they would ask for another sign was nothing less than an insult. And it was intended that way too. They tempted him. In asking him to show them a sign, they hoped that he would try and fail. Then he would be publicly discredited. These scribes and Pharisees had already expressed the thoughts of their hearts. They had done so at the earliest occasion of having met with Jesus' power and authority. When he had appeared in the temple and laid claim to that temple as his father's house. You remember that Jesus, having found that temple perverted and corrupted by the apostasy of the church, drove out the money changers, pitched over their tables, those who had turned God's house into a marketplace, a common mall, and immediately the Jews demanded proof of his authority to do this. They wanted evidence of his authority for what he had done. And so we read in John 2, verse 18, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He spoke, of course, of the temple of his body, that body in which dwelled the fullness of the Godhead, that body which was the tabern- of which the tabernacle and temple were only the types. He spoke of a body which the Holy Spirit called a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But notice how this amazing sign of his own authority and power brought to light the hypocrisy and the hollow religion of the scribes and Pharisees. They had asked for a sign. They wanted convincing proof of his divine authority. And the sign they requested, of course, must be a miraculous one, thus proving God's presence. Yet when he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, they take offense. Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? Though he spoke of the temple of his body, The very force of the sign was in the brevity of time in raising it. But the very element of the miracle, that which would reveal the power of God, they reject. And the same was the case in the sign of the prophet Jonah. In unbelief, they rejected the sign. May we all be on guard against such a spirit of unbelief. 
It's a growing evil in these last days. The rejection of God's word has many looking for new things. Signs of true spirituality. Signs of Christ's presence with his church. Men who do not believe all that God says in his word must necessarily look for something else. And they not merely fail. They refuse to serve Christ with that zeal with which we are called to serve him in faithful obedience to his word. They would come up with all kinds of arguments why they would not. But the truth is, they've rejected the abundant evidence that surrounds them. The truth of God, the counsel of His Word, we find quite easy to reject. We're generally rather slow to receive what God has said. We're inclined to think that only if we had lived with Jesus, we, it would have had a mighty effect upon our souls. We're naturally drawn to a religion of sight and touch, a religion of the senses. We like a material Christianity. One that's far better than one of faith. But remember what Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 31. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We must not think that we need something more than this in order to have a deeper love and deeper devotion in our spiritual life. Do we hear Christ's voice and follow him? That's the question. We need no higher privilege. The sign of which Jesus speaks has already been fulfilled. He has fulfilled Indeed, a greater than Jonas is here. His name is Jesus. He's the Christ of God. He's greater, therefore, in his very person. The person of the Son of God. When we look at Jonah's preaching... We look back at Jonah's preaching recorded in, in the Old Testament. We realize it belonged to the sundry times and diverse manners in which God spoke by the prophets. Hebrews 1 verse 1. But God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. You see, both Jonah and Jesus were commissioned by God. Without that divine commission, there could be no comparison. 
In both cases, it was God's word they proclaimed. The very preaching which God himself commanded them to preach. Both Jonah and Jesus were acting under divine authority. But Jesus came from the very bosom of the Father. What he has seen and heard, therefore, that he has testified. If at the preaching of Jonah, the men of Nineveh repented, shall they not rise up in judgment against us? If we put away from us the preaching of him who speaks from the very bosom of the Father, calling us to repentance and faith, also belonging to his greater person, is the greater claim upon us, the inarguable right to call us to repentance as representing the Godhead, as God in the flesh. God become flesh. Jesus can say to all against me, me only you have sinned and done evil in my sight that I might be just in speaking to you these words, in speaking my judgment, Jonah, you see, had no personal quarrel with the Ninevites. Oh, yes, he hated them. They were Israel's enemy. But his quarrel was not one of personal contact. Jonah had no personal claim on them. But the greater than Jonah has come. He's entitled to all our love and service and adoration and obedience. And when these and any expression of gratitude is withheld by us or given him in less than absolute perfection, his is the claim of an intimately personal nature. He himself represents the offended Godhead. When he calls to repentance, there can be none greater. He speaks with inescapable, infinite authority. But Christ is not only greater in person, he's greater in his office. Indeed, both occupied the prophetic office. Both Jonah and Jesus. But Christ is the fulfillment of the office. He is the one of whom God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass, 
that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. The scribes and Pharisees had that scripture. They knew that the fulfillment was not found in Jonah. All the prophets called to repentance. But Jonah's commission as a prophet was very limited. It was but a fragment of the truth that he would proclaim. The gospel he proclaimed, to be sure, but not in its fullness. Its fullness was yet to come. Christ in his office is the way, the truth, and the light. He's the fulfillment of the counsel of God who has come not only to fulfill, but to proclaim all God's will. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To him belongs the perfect knowledge of every thought and purpose of his Father's heart. He proclaims the fullness of the gospel call, with urgency. And if the men of of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, shall they not rise up in judgment against those who stood before the very fullness of the Godhead and rejected his word? But there is more also belonging to his office, is the execution of his Father's will in which he fulfilled the peculiar sign of Jonah, showing himself greater. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's now been fulfilled, you know. Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. By having seen or heard about the things that had happened to him, how he had been swallowed up in the depths of God's wrath for his disobedience, the Ninevites could see the certainty of God's vengeance upon the sinner. They could only conclude if that such things were done to one of God's own prophets for a single act of disobedience. What would happen to those who live in perpetual rebellion against the living God, the Holy One of Israel? And at the same time, the sign of Jonah's deliverance by the wonder of God's grace showed them That where there is repentance, there is forgiveness with God and an incredibly amazing deliverance. But behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Jonah died only in a figure. The figure revealed a terrible reality. But it stopped short of actual death. Jesus died. He died the death of the cross 
of the curse. In the place of transgressors, he stood. And on their behalf, he was judged, the just for the unjust. And bearing there our curse, he bore, not merely a figure, the reality, the fullness of God's wrath the complete terrors of the wages of sin, which is death. He bore the power of God's wrath to the full. Great as was the anguish of Jonah, as swallowed into the very belly of hell, cast out of God's sight, Behold, the greater than Jonah is here. He's the fulfillment of the sign. The complete fulfillment. The perfect fulfillment. But there's more. A greater than Jonah is here in that Christ has greater power than Jonah. He has power even to break the bands of death. Death could not hold him. Because he has power over death, he's greater than Jonah. Jonah might proclaim the wrath of God against sin. Jesus can break the power of sin and work repentance and give forgiveness. So the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. How much greater then, unspeakably greater, is Jesus as a prophet. He's the one whose very voice is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. If you tell me merely that a divine messenger asks me to lay aside all my old motives, all my aims and objects in life, and to forsake my sinful ways, and that he asks me to begin living entirely according to the principles of Scripture and, and to the glory of God, you lay before me a request that's utterly hopeless as far as any strength of mine fulfilling it is concerned. Who can bring forth a clean thing out of an unclean? But tell me, that the very Son of God speaks and quickens whom he will. Let me see with spiritual eyes and understand with a spiritual understanding the truth that he has power even now to turn me, to work repentance in my heart, to confer his grace, the perfect forgiveness of sins upon me. To give me a believing, a sin-hating, and contrite heart. 
then I can do nothing but confess that a greater than Jonah is here. That the men of Nineveh, therefore, who lived more than 800 years before this day that Christ speaks these words, should confront that very generation to whom Jesus preached and should expose the character and the extent of their wickedness is certainly a solemn thought. For if true then, before Christ died and rose again, how much greater is the travesty of those today who hear the gospel and reject it. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day, as he had said, he presented his credentials before the whole world as the Son of God who is Christ. He showed himself to be the resurrection and the life. Let an evil and adulterous generation take note and let all you who believe worship God. For the greater than Jonah will continue to witness from heaven as the Lord of glory. He will pour out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. He will send them forth as ambassadors to preach his gospel to all nations. Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. But Christ reveals and proclaims God's righteousness and grace to all generations. The Jews will continue to seek a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But Christ's servants will preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To the Jews, he's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It's exactly from that point of view that Jesus said, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The men of Nineveh who repented humbling themselves before the preaching of the word, will stand with Christ and his saints as they appear to judge the world. And they will accuse and condemn that evil generation that called itself the people of God because that generation despised the blood of the New Testament and rejected Christ himself nor will it ever be different in the world, beloved. The Holy Spirit saw to the preservation of this word in Holy Scripture also for our admonition today. That evil and adulterous generation is always found in the broader church institute. 
they clamor for signs. Despising the preaching of Christ, they clamor for new things that will draw and attract. They will have the church cater to their carnal whims. But for them, says Christ, there's only one sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. There's only one message, the preaching of the gospel, which is the one and only power of God unto salvation. If they will not believe Moses and the prophet, if they will not receive the preaching of God's word, there remains nothing but a fearful looking for of vengeance. God works his work. He gathers his own. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardened. Romans 19 verse 9. 9 verse 19. Hear the word of God. Let us be determined to preach and to hear nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For the greater than Jonah is here. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to Thee for speaking thy word as the gospel of salvation to us who believe. And we thank thee, Father, for the faith which thou hast given us and pray that thou wilt strengthen our faith to the honor and glory of thy name. For Jesus' sake, amen.